things are going to be changing very, very quickly. They are, and they are going to continue to change. So to be able to engage with this turbulent world and not get overwhelmed, we need to try to not be rigid. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how human minds create value from information and author of the book Thriving on Overload. Every week, I speak to incredible people who share how they use unlimited information to create massive value and keep ahead of accelerating change. If you want to learn more about this valuable topic, go to thrivingonoverload.com which includes podcast episodes and transcripts, excerpts from the book, articles. You can sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to help you improve your habits. And there are also details on the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which guides you through the journey of amplifying your information productivity. That's thrivingonoverload.com. Building on my work on Thriving on Overload, I'm also focusing on the theme of humans plus AI to help massively augment your productivity using artificial intelligence. If you want access to a raft of resources, frameworks, guides, and tutorials, just go to humansplustechnology.com. If you find this episode useful, please do take just 10 seconds to hop into iTunes or whatever app you're using to listen to this to give the podcast a rating or a quick review. These are all free resources. It would be massively helpful to me to make this project feasible, and also help others to make this easier to find. On this episode, we learn from Sam Barton. Sam is, among other things, a product manager, a personal knowledge management expert, host of the Deep Dive podcast talk of today, and also a colleague of mine acting as product manager for a couple of major projects uh, for my companies. You can find more on his work at samhbarton.com and also check out his podcast talk of today. In this episode, Sam shares insights on using personal knowledge management tools well, AI knowledge graphs, digital gardens, accelerating returns, and decentralized identity for truth. So keep listening to listen from Sam's insight in our very interesting conversation. Sam, it's awesome to have you on the show. Yeah, great to be here, Russ. So... You know, you are passionate about trying to work well with lots of information and to manage your knowledge and so on. So how, how come? Where did all this start for you? Uh, I think it started, uh, well, I've always loved technology and I've always been, uh, I've always tried to uh, keep abreast of all of the latest updates and uh, just checking out new tools and how they work. So I think I kind of stumbled into it in a way, because I was using all of these different tools um, and they had all of these capabilities. And I realized that, well, as a consequence of using these tools, I started amassing uh, a collection of notes um, rather easily because of um, the, the automations that some of these tools um, made available. Uh, and suddenly I had you know lots of data to work with. Uh, and I thought, well, this is we, you know, this data can be put to use uh, in a way. Um, and I was, you know, working on various different things. Uh, I always work on various different things for better or for worse. So ha- having a way of um, going through the information that I have and organizing it in such a way so that it's actually useful. Um, so, you know, I would, I was running a podcast, I was um, studying, uh, I was working. So I had lots of um, balls in the air, so to speak, and I needed to find a way to actually uh, keep those balls in the air. <laughs> uh, so what was the first software that you found was really useful on that journey? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think it would be either, well, Rome Research captured my uh, imagination and it 
uh, got me very excited for this uh, world of personal knowledge management, though it wasn't as useful as I was expecting it to be. Uh, Notion is an app that I have been using consistently for the past few years. And even though it hasn't gripped me in the same way uh, as some of these other uh, tools, I have found myself using it the most for getting work done and, and tracking things. So I, in, in the past and currently I use tools like Roam. So if not Roam, now LogSec or Obsidian, um, we, we can get into those later if we want. I, I've been using those for um, managing notes and like book notes, uh, podcast questions, um, a whole array of things. So basically stuff that I capture online and then Notion is where the production happens. So how about, how about in terms of the uh, idea capture? So if you come across something cool or interesting, uh, which is stimulating, but you don't necessarily know where or how, then where where would you put it? Yeah, so my workflow at the moment is uh, I take advantage of Readwise. So Readwise is a, an app that uh, allows you to, well, it does a variety of different things. It's kind of evolved recently. Um, but the big thing is it allows you to capture content uh, in the various areas that you come across it online, uh, on Kindle um, and elsewhere. And it deposits that information automatically uh, into a, a note-taking app of your choice or in the Readwise app itself. Uh, so because I, uh, well, I had a Twitter addiction, I deleted it recently, and that was uh, a good and bad move, I think, because I'm less plugged in. But what I would do is if I came across anything interesting, I would just send it to Readwise and I would have it tagged uh, with hashtag inbox uh, so that I would know when I go into my note-taking app, there's a, like, I need to process this. I need to put this in an area that makes sense. Um, I've also used um, Todoist to play that role as well. Like if I come across something, I would just throw it quickly into, into Todoist and tag it with the relative tags or work or uh, podcast or whatever. And I would get to it uh, later. Um, I will say that my process isn't uh, it's not perfect, and it definitely needs a bit of work. Nobody's and, nobody's process is perfect. Yeah, well, I still have lots of frustrations with mine uh, because, I, for one, remembering to process your inbox is a chore. Well, it is a chore, um, but you know, maybe it's one of those things that you just have to do. So, where where is the inbox? Uh, my inbox. So it was LogSec. So LogSec is like an open source free version of Rome Research. Uh, so that was how I was using. That was where it was initially. Uh, I've moved to Obsidian recently um, because I, even though being able to link, so uh, with, with these uh, connected note-taking apps, you can hashtag or uh, link items, um, and you can fil- you can do a quick search and filter for all the different um, or for, for many different things, and um, that's one way of like organizing and getting access to content, but. Folders are still very useful, I've come to discover. So being able to just put something in a folder and access it in that way is, uh, you know, in some hierarchical manner is is very useful. So from what I've learned or from the research that I've done, Obsidian is the best app that allows you to make the most of both worlds. So you can organize things hierarchically in folders, but you can also, with tags, surface things um, when you need them. So I've started moving to Obsidian and I do have some gripes with it. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's one of those things, it's like high customers, customizability and, um, uh, you know, getting into the weeds and owning your data or like in, I, I, I contrast it with notion or everything's kind of set up in a way it's very structured, but you don't own your data. So it's not as future proof. So I'm currently in that, in the space of tossing up whether or not I 
go, I stick with Obsidian and just let that be my home for everything. Or I just bite the bullet and go with Notion because I think the returns initially will be greater. But in the future, I think having complete control over my data is the is the way to go. Yeah, well, I, I use Obsidian and Notion and, well, and Google Docs, amongst other things. And I think that's one of the always one of the the issues. Either you're choosing a central platform, a single platform for everything, or you're making a decision around what goes where. And so that's and I, I think that there are so at the moment there's a, there is a logic as in Obsidian is for me more the idea. Okay, here's an idea, just a little snippet or a reference or an image or something which I can go and organize and ha- get access to. Whereas Notion is where the structure happens. And as you say, you, you talked about Notion being that place of where works get gets done. And I don't think Obsidian is really a work getting done tool, though I'm sure some people put it to a good effect in that way. But it's, it's kind of like it's just working out the boundaries as to if no one tool does it all, then how do you – it's continuous rebalancing of what goes where. Yeah, uh, it definitely. And it's – it frustrates me. It frustrates me because – having everything in one place is very, very powerful. Uh, you know, just being able to, you know, manage, let's say all of your resources, um, your, your reference notes and everything, and then just being able to seamlessly integrate that into, let's say I'm writing an essay, right? Um, a, a workflow for me would be to, uh, read various books or uh, PDFs and highlight them. And my workflow allows for all of those, um, highlights to be automatically, um, added to my, you know, second brain, so Obsidian or uh, LogSec. And a really useful workflow is just being able to um, take all those highlights and then just put them into my working document so that I can write uh, with all of the content right there. But unfortunately, it just doesn't, it's not, it doesn't work like that. So I end up having to get all those notes there and then move to Notion and then, um, and then port everything over there and uh, try re- try reworking it. And the reason why that's that's a problem, it doesn't sound like a problem. Um, it's like, well, that's normal. That, that's how it normally happens. But the benefits of these of these uh, connected note-taking apps is that you can see the provenance. Um, so where did that note, where did that insight come from? So you can see, if I've got a highlight, it, like, this highlight came from this book in this section and it's really easy to reference and look to later. So, you know, in the future, I could say, where are all the places that I have referenced this highlight in all my working in, in all my work? And maybe there's ten places. Now that's actually really useful because you have this like the, the graph of knowledge expands across time and it becomes more useful. There's this you know positive feedback loop between between data. But when you just move it over to a to the workspace, you, you lose all of that. Um, so I would really like uh, Obsidian to play the the role that role for me. But it's not. Um, it's a it's a. I see it as a a niche hackerish tool. It's, it's a tool for hackers and people who like to tweak things. And it's not, um, user, it's not user-friendly enough for the, the sorts of things that I would like to do with it, given the amount of time that I have. But I do think that it's in the right direction. That's, that's what I'd say. I recently gave a, a keynote to 250 innovation professionals. And I asked at one point, okay, who's who knows who's heard of Rome Research or Obsidian? And one person put their hand up, and you know she's a she's an avid user. But uh, it's interesting that you know these are. I mean, as I've referred to them before, as geek tools, and that's that's the challenge is that they they are they're great for geeks, but they need to be. Um, we need tools that are more accessible to uh, to others that <laughs> don't necessarily 
you know, like going into the weeds like that. But pulling back, so, you know, we've used that phrase personal knowledge management. And for me, these note-taking tools, I, I think of them as knowledge development tools, as in how are they how do they help us be more knowledgeable to build our mental models, to understand better. So I'd love to just sort of pull, you know, pulling back from the sort of specific tools around thinking, you know, how, you know, how is it that you, as your your knowledge, your insight, your perspectives that you have, um, and how, you know, what is the big frame for you and being able to support that, being more knowledgeable, essentially? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And I don't have a very good answer for it because my brain still acts as the main brain, if that makes sense. Like, so yes. I don't have a as it solid. Yeah, yeah, it should be. It should be, though. I do have a, uh, a strong desire to externalize a lot of it so that it's accessible not only to me but mainly to like especially today with the rise of generative ai tools and the more i can get out of my head and digitized the more effective um my own thoughts will be if that makes sense because i've taken things that are in here like things that i've framed myself and put them into a knowledge management tool and then i can work with the ai the ai to explore um all of these ideas and riff on them and and, and do all that sort of stuff so the the frame that i have around this at the moment is we're just at the beginning. We're at the very, we're still at step one. I mean, maybe like pen and paper was 0.1. The word, you know, Microsoft Word was 0.2. We're at like the, we're still at the very beginnings of, of um, I guess, personal knowledge management and working with external technologies to really amplify or amplify might not be the right word, but to, to, to immerse ourselves in this information and 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 work with it in a in a more collaborative way. So it's not just my brain just throwing things against you know just arguments happening in my brain, but I'm, I'm having a a conversation with with the knowledge that I have come across, but also have synthesized and you know um, put together in my own words. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that's an answer to your question, but that's that's how I'm thinking about it at the moment. Yeah, no, that's but I think that's a really important point, as in. The times when I've gained the most insight, I think, has been in conversations. And sometimes things I said, not what the other person said, was what we both said. You know, I say things, I think, oh, wow, I, I'm really interested in what I just said. Or, yeah. but indeed, you're having a conversation with someone else, and they're saying something else, and you get a refinement or addition. And I think, you know, it's when you're sitting and reading and making notes and pulling things together, yes, that's valuable. But in a way, most of the really big insights happen in a conversational frame. So as you say, now that we have AI that can potentially play that role well, that could be an extraordinary tool for knowledge development. Yeah, so just on that point, something that I've been thinking about, um, I, I'm not very good at, I, I'm very talkative and I love talking to people. That's I, one of the reasons I started the podcast was like, oh, well, maybe I can make a living just chatting with people. That sounds spectacular, you know, chatting about ideas. And I've found that like, I'm not very good at sitting down and writing notes and doing all sorts of things, but I love chatting about things like this. Um, and with the rise of generative AI, with the rise of gener generative AI and transcriptions and all that, we could actually have conversations like this. The transcript gets automatically dumped wherever. And uh, with enough, you know, maybe in a year or so, the, the notes that we would have taken will uh, you know, we would have had to have taken manually, will just get pulled out by AI and tagged and all sorts of wonderful things would happen to them so that uh, I don't need to do anything. It, it kind of reminds me of, you know, back in the day, I think in, you know, um, the ancient Greek philosophy days, you know, 2000 years ago, uh, none of the philosophers were 
writing things like the, the the big dogs they weren't writing things down they would have students who would you know recall things and take notes and everything and they said oh no writings we, we're not we're not about that we're just here to um we're, we're just going to be talking about it so they didn't have the pre- they didn't have the patience to write things down i'm not comparing myself to them i'm just maybe just in, in terms of my laziness um but now we have uh uh we will have these um digital students or digital note takers digital assistants who will really help us with with all of that and i'm 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 here for it. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. So how else have you found uh, the generative AI tools to be useful in, you know, in, in your own knowledge, I guess? I mean, the tools, you know, they're very pragmatic in terms of being able to use them for all kinds of work. But how, how have you found them useful in terms of thinking better? Yeah, I would say it's, I, it's a good question. Um, I would say that they actually haven't been as useful yet, though there's a lot of promise. Um, there are some like some ways in which I've used generative AI to uh, understand things is just you know copy some text and get it to get the text to you know, get the AI to explain it to me in a, in a different way or re- uh, reframe it or um, maybe combine ideas in a certain way. Um, I think that's been the most useful way so far. But I think that in the near term, what will actually be it, it won't be at least personally, uh, or for knowledge is knowledge is tough, but inputs are easy. If that makes sense, so inputs precede the knowledge. So, what the AI I think will do is, uh, well, the benefits that we'll see is, um, a the, the generative AI will allow us to triage increasing amounts of information, um, so that we can identify what's be- what we should dive into um, in more detail and extract value from. So right now, you know, if I come across something that I want to read later, um, I would throw it, you know, I would tag it, throw it into my inbox and maybe read it later. Um, to read it later, I, you know, actually have to read it. But now I can click, um, you know, summarize and maybe get a, a rough summary of an, of an idea. So, you know, a tool that I would love, a tool that I would absolutely love to exist right now is something where I could put in all of the sources that I uh, would like to keep uh, up to date with. Um, and every time they create something new, so it's a, let's say it's a, a blogger, every time there's a new blog or a new podcast, or if it's a, tw- if it's a Twitter personality, you know, their Twitter threads or whatever, if I had an automatic AI summary generated and I basically had a feed of summaries um, that I could then say, oh, actually that's very interesting. Um, I'm going to go and dive further into that. So basically uh, increasing the, not, I wouldn't say signal to noise, but just extracting the key insights from each piece of information so that I can process more and dive deeper into the things that I think are actually uh, worth going diving more deeply into because there's so much information being created today and it's um, it's a bit overwhelming. So, so essentially you're saying you work out what the sources that you think are promising and then you get the system to basically provide you know summaries or just key points things you're interested in from each of those so that you can go and follow each of those if 
if you think it's worth delving deeper into. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, the one tool that's doing this better than anything else at the moment is the Readwise. So Readwise does have a, a reader app. So you can basically send PDFs, online articles, um, anything you come across online, Twitter threads, uh, YouTube videos, podcasts now, and you can read it or view it, consume it uh, in the Readwise app. And they've got something called, uh, I think it's called the Ghost Reader, and you can just click a button and it generates a summary. That's a step in the right direction. I just want an interface on top of that with the summaries already generated so that I can uh, filter uh, information more effectively and dive deeper into the things that I uh, I think are worth exploring. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I see that that tool will be extremely valuable. Though I also wonder, it still just provides text and text summaries. And I think there's, how do we pull, there's still this brain, the, the wetware of our minds, and you know, obviously there are some images and other types of content, but a lot of this is text and maybe summarized text, and we can delve deeper, but there is still this step between how it is the different pieces, you know, elements that we come across and being able to build a lattice of, of knowledge from that. And I think that that's where, you know, it's a step beyond, again, where we can sort of find the best things, but also then find how it is we pull these together into, into our own lattices of knowledge. Mm. And that just harkens back to the, the discussion of obsidian versus notion, you know, owning your data versus not owning your data. Because if you have access, if you have all these summaries and if you have all of this information that's tailored to your desires, to your interests, to your needs, and then you can see them all connected together and interact with them in, in this, um, you know, uh, spatial way, uh, you know, like I'm just thinking of the the um, the graphs that Obsidian puts out, or the of, you know Obsidian Rome blog sex. So you can just see all of your different notes connected uh, and how they're connected. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a, a very very useful development. But right now, there's just too much friction involved with that. But probably not for too long. You know, by next week, you know, knowing the pace of this, seeing the pace of this tech, uh, this ex- uh, generative AI explosion, uh, we'll probably be there in not too long. So just looking at that broader space, you know, the intersection of personal knowledge management or, you know, our ability to make sense of information and build our knowledge with AI. I mean, is there anything else in particular you've found really exciting, which you have seen already, or will you see the potential of that coming? I mean, what's, you know, where's the edge of where you uh, uh, see see possibilities now and uh, coming up soon? Yeah, um, I guess I've got two answers to this question. One is, the first thing that sprang to mind is actually a negative. And it's, we now have the capacity to generate very, very convincing content at scale. And we have no way of discerning fact from fiction. COVID kind of made this very apparent. It's already happening, but over the next five years or so, I think we're going to see deep fakes, you know, generated audio, generated video, have quite a big impact on people's worldviews. And truth or, you know, collective truth will just become a myth, uh, at least in, in the near term. So what I'm excited in this space is the development of decentralized identity tools. So something like uh, a, a WorldCoin uh, is a good example. They just came out with a, um, well, they've been in development for a while, but they have, they're building a, a decentralized um, privacy preserving identity solutions so that, you know, people can 
prove their humanity. So what we need in the in the ASAP is the ability to, you know, if I'm reading someone on Twitter, if, if I'm seeing a post from someone on Twitter, I can, I know that they're a person and I know through some cryptographic key that they've signed or th- through some cryptographic signature, they were indeed the, the origins of that post. So that's something that I'm excited about. Well, I, excited is not the right word. I, I see that's something that's like front of mind for me. That, that's the first thing that came to mind. Now, the second thing. Does what you're excited about? Yeah, I, I think it's um, communities of, well, it's communities, people who have shared interests uh, coming together to create libraries um, of, you know, on, on certain topics. Uh, so there's the, like, uh, an example that springs to mind is um, the whole John Verveke space. So meaning, uh, you know, the meaning crisis, philosophy, um, civilization, like there's this, a lot of conversation happening in a distributed way on Twitter and YouTube about uh, our stage, um, uh, you know, our collective stage, the challenges that we face and what sorts of changes in the way that we uh, operate individually and collectively may we need to undertake to be able to deal with the, the challenges that we face. And there's no Wikipedia page for it, right? Uh, there's no, uh, on, there's no, ongoing collection of information that I can go into and just review that's being updated in real time so that I can keep abreast of the of the developments there. So I think that these tools uh, with some curators, so that I think we'll see these new forms of libraries appear with people who are basically paid librarians, who are AI wizards, who will update these um, knowledge resources, these, these libraries in real time uh, using artificial intelligence. Uh, and yeah, there'll be digital gardens that um, tend to themselves in a way and emerge uh, so that's something that I um that that's the the very wonderful exciting thing. Um, oh, and just the other thing is personal tutors. Uh, that's that's the other thing. Just being able to have a tutor on anything, um, and it being tailored to myself. That's I'm, I'm th- can't wait for that. Just on that point around the curated gardens of knowledge. I mean, that really to me harks uh, to what uh, I think was the last episode. Ida Josefina uh, with her product Sane which is not just public, not yet publicly launched, but looks very much to the intent of what you are uh, describing and, uh, and looks very promising and interesting. You know, I think, you know, that human curation element is, I think, very, um, you know, is very interesting. Sane.io, I believe. Okay, I'll, I'll look into that. So coming... I suppose pulling back, you know, you, you, I, I think have been very effective. As you say, you, tr- you know, I think one thing about you, Sam, is you try, you keep on trying lots of tools all the time and learning what, uh, you know, what is best, uh, you know, which is not just, you know, what the software is, but how you use that. And so I think there's plenty of other people that don't either have the time or spend the time to go and explore and try things and see how they work. So I'd love to sort of pull back to just get your recommendations for Mm. anybody that's immersed in a world of information, looking to build their knowledge effectively, and, you know, not just talking about software, but just more generally. I mean, what are your recommendations? What are the things you would advise to someone to thrive in a world of overload to, to amplify their cognition? Yeah. Uh, first one is Readwise, uh, particularly if you um, read um, ebooks, uh, because you can just easily capture highlights um, seamlessly, and they just get saved. So, like my recommendations are largely based on minimum um, effort, right? So, how do you get the, as much bang for your buck? So, Readwise comes out. That's of the top a good there. principle. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say um, a recording app. So uh, you can choose whichever one you want. Otter AI, Otter.ai is one example, um, or the Google Recorder. So basically an app that allows you to, whenever you have a, a thought, just click a button and capture the thought in real time. So just, you know, just speak and have a transcription generated so that you can uh, leverage that later. So the reason why that's useful, uh, particularly today, is um, if you have an idea and you get it out and it's machine readable, so, you know, you've got the transcript, with generative AI, you can turn that into uh, whatever. You could, you know, turn it into a blog post, you can turn it into meeting notes, you could turn it into an outline for a book. Uh, you're really just limited by your capacity to work with these tools. So. Um, I would say that, yeah, now I'm thinking about it, it's all about capturing. It's all about capturing information so that it's useful. So Readwise, our recording app, um, I would say a tool that integrates, uh, so let's say, let's just say that's capturing finished. I would say that um, the last set of tools I'd recommend are relating to uh, creation. So um, I have used Notion extensively and it's continually to, to get better and better. Um, particularly with this integration of AI. Um, so I would recommend using a tool that allows you to integrate generative AI into your uh, workflows seamlessly because we now live in an age where you can be 10 times more effective than your peers if you're a knowledge worker. You know, this isn't just being a programmer. It's not about just being a 10x programmer now. Um, if, you know, if, you, if you know your way around tools, uh, around you know, this generative AI space, you can, I think, literally be 10 times more productive than your peers, or 100 times if you're incredibly strategic and creative. Um, so I would say find a tool. I think Notion's one of the best examples of that at the moment um, that you can just use to uh, do what you do normally, but uh, throw some AI in there as well. Um, Coda is another one to check out, I would say. Um, but it's a Coda. I wish I would love to know Coda in more detail, but um, I think the opportunity cost of me, like I've spent enough time with Notion that I think I might just wait for them to catch up. But if you're just starting out, um, I'd look into both and I'd look at what your consider what your needs are um, and then make a decision. Um, we can get into that and well, just look at a YouTube video, Coda versus Notion, to make the decision. But yeah, those would be my my top my top picks, I'd say. And and just beyond technology, uh, any attitudes, habits, behaviors, anything else which uh, which you think is important? Yeah, um, openness. Uh, so if you can cultivate an open mind uh, and a propensity to try new things, uh, you know this is we are in the the most atypical time in like human history, possibly. Right, we are going through a massive change, literally. As the days go by, things are changing. And it's not just generative AI. We, we're all very excited by that, but we have this confluence of technologies coming together that are all accelerating at a you know a relatively exponential rate. And they all feed back on each other, right? So this is positive feedback loop. I think Fred Kushwell called it the law of accelerating returns, returns or something. So things are going to be changing very, very quickly. They are, and they are going to continue to change. So to uh, be able to engage with this turbulent world effectively and not get and not get overwhelmed uh, we need to try to not be rigid we need to try to be as flexible um, as possible but you know with with within reason so that's that's my uh, advice just be open, open but not to too open. Things. <laughs> oh, yeah 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 because if yeah well I mean the, the problem one of the problems with openness is that you can be open to all sorts of uh, 
incorrect information, for example. But yeah, you know, and that's in in Thriving and Overload, that was one of the key points I made is that you know that openness is is not just extraordinarily valuable. It is something which we can cultivate in ourselves, and it's uh, and it actually pays off in spades in a fast moving world. Yeah, definitely. Any where where people can go to find out more about uh, what you do? Yep. Um, I uh, only really use Twitter these days. Uh, so I'm at Sam H. Barton on Twitter. And um, my website is the same thing, samhbutton.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time and your insight, Sam. All right. Thanks for having me, Russ. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review, and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.